Hey, everybody. Welcome in. Bleeding Claret and Cobalt, Trey Fitzgerald, Ryan Hale here with you. Today's guest will be Real Salt Lake General Manager Elliot Fall. He'll give us some insights into the expansion draft list that just dropped, roster construction, looking back at 2022, how different threads emerged both inside and outside the locker room and then building that foundation for 2023 and all the different options he and his staff, Pablo Mastroini and his staff have at their collective disposal to add some difference makers and get RSL to the top of the Western Conference. All this and much, much more coming up next. Bleeding, Claret and Cobalt, brought to you by One Wire Fire. Hey guys, just a big shout out to our friend Adam Sessions and One Wire Fiber. We would not be able to bring you Bleeding Claret and Cobalt every week, every month without their great support. So you wouldn't want all your RSL news information coming from some distant, out-of-state people that don't care about this community. So why would you rely on your voice, video, text for business coming from one of these big companies that literally don't care about you. If you don't own a business, but your friends do, your family does, you got to reach out to these guys because the level of customer service, of support, attention to detail from One Wire Fiber is immense. And we all know how fast the world is moving these days. If our phones, our computers, if our connectivity is not functioning properly, you just feel completely stuck in the water. And Adam and One Wire Fiber, they will figure it all out for you so you don't have to. The number one, W-I-R-E dot C-O, One Wire Fiber, they will take care of you. They care about this community. They care about this club, and they care about you. Okay, Ryan, here we are on Thursday, November 10th, St. Louis's expansion draft is Friday evening, I want to say 4 o'clock mountain time. I might be off by an hour. Uh, St. Louis can pick up to five players from all the lists around the league. We've started seeing uh, GAM and international spots exchange hands. Uh, Nashville making a ton of moves on Wednesday, getting rid of four international spots for, I think, close to $775,000 in GAM, um, other minor trades around the league. I haven't looked at all the uh, protected slash exposed expansion lists yet, but for Real Salt Lake, there are 11 players that St. Louis is eligible to choose. They are Nick Beasler, Scott Caldwell, Michael Chang, Tomas Gomez, a St. Louis native, Brett Halsey, Eric Holt, Johan Kappelhoff, Johnny Menendez, Rubio Rubin, Marcelo Silva, and Bobby Wood. And before I get your thoughts on this list, I want to point out that obviously several of the players on the exposed list are guys who RSL had previously announced that their options for next year were declined, so they're effectively uh, waived. Marcelo Silva is a bit of a surprise on this list. Uh, as he is out of contract, as both he and the front office and the coaching staff talked about after the Austin loss, uh, contract talks are ongoing. Basically, even if Marcelo is chosen by St. Louis, he can say, 
nah, I'm an MLS free agent. I'm going to continue talking to RSL and I want to get a deal done there. That's what I expect to happen. Um, if Marcelo had signed a contract with RSL between now and, and the end of the season, um, and then he was exposed, St. Louis could take him and we would lose the right. So basically him being in limbo effectively helps us. Um, Rubio Rubin might be the most attractive name for St. Louis with you know knowing all that. Certainly uh, Michael Chang or Scott Caldwell have had uh, very, very good years. Johnny Menendez, I doubt he's leaving uh, his loan situation in Argentina to come back to a team that is not Real Salt Lake. So um, the DPs, the homegrowns, a lot of those other um, folks are – uh, ineligible to be exposed in the expansion draft. And you can go to rsl.com or mlssoccer.com to get into the minutia of the rules. But um, on some of the preliminary lists that I've seen uh, different soccer pundits put out there, uh, none of the Real Salt Lake players are on St. Louis's list. But you just never know because they may they may get a call from, let's say, Minnesota that says, hey, we want Rubio Rubin. If you draft him, uh, we'll give you X. So uh, that's another thing to consider for Friday afternoon's expansion draft. Yeah, I'd say I wasn't expecting to see some of these names on here. Um, yeah, Marcelo Silva did like until you said that. I was that was like that was a little nerve wracking. Could to be see risky, yeah, but yeah, yeah. But I did I did know about I mean just his his status is like where he is in his contract. You know, kind of tied to RSL, I think. But at the same time, if I'm if I'm building a, a an expansion roster and there's yeah. a there's a center back like Silva on the list there. I don't know how you ignore that. Like that's the thing. It's like yeah, maybe maybe there's a lot of guys. It's tough to see some of these names on here because you know what they mean to RSL. Like Michael Chang, I think again, like if I'm building a expansion roster, Michael Chang is you know you want some spark like that for sure. I don't want to I don't want to see him go, but I'm like that's a, that's a tough one to sure. see in there. And then we talked about Nick Beasler. Like I mean, option declined, but you know that's a the chance of him coming back here is still a, still a yeah. Beesler and Wood potentially. I guess the rumor is that those guys could come back at a, at a lower salary number. Um, if you look at St. Louis's existing roster, it's very international heavy. So remember that international slots will play a role in all this. Um, they have. I think St. Louis did uh, get an international spot from Montreal earlier this week for only. 100,000 because of that low price. The speculation is uh, Montreal is effectively also, uh, you know, asking St. Louis to not choose any of their guys. Otherwise, that spot probably would have been more expensive. Um, there's just, there's a lot of very MLS specific dynamics at play. We'll see what happens. And, and look, um, you know, I'd be shocked if St. Louis um, went to a veteran like Marcelo. Obviously, we've seen Marcelo at his best this past year, uh, but he's he's a little old by an MLS center back standard. And, and look, I don't know that he wants to uproot his family. So um, I don't see that happening. But look, stranger things have happened. Remember, RSL once lost uh, Jason Kreiss in the expansion draft to Toronto in the middle of the Zango uh, jersey unveil back in November of 2006 and had to spend 
uh, quite a bit of money <laughs> to get him back because he was the captain for the next four games, and then he became the head coach here at Real Salt Lake. So um, there are plenty of probably expansion draft um, anecdotes like that, that that we could get into in a future edition of the pod. Um, next week, the reentry draft phase one opens up. Uh, you'll also have reentry draft phase two. You'll also have waivers. And then uh, after the World Cup, just a few days before Christmas, and we went through all these dates last week um, in the Dan Farns episode, but uh, right before Christmas is the MLS Super Draft and the, and the college, which is something that I think we all uh, kind of poo-poo a little bit, but coming off of getting Jasper Loffelson with the 81st pick in last year's draft, I think that was a fourth round, um, maybe late third, that is something that uh, the RSL may be a little more apt to uh, try to find another guy. And, and it was a bit of a risk because Jasper carried an international slot. Um, you heard the story during the MLS Cup broadcast that RSL actually passed in the college draft uh, before Montreal picked Jack Elliott, the six foot six Philadelphia Union defender now who scored twice and would have been the MVP had that uh, late Gareth Bale goal not been scored. So uh, RSL catching strays, as I think uh, our friend Lucas Muller termed it on Twitter that day. But, um, you know, some college drafts are, are presumably deeper than the other, but, um, you know, RSL did not pick Christian Roldan uh, because he would have required an international spot way back in the day. And uh, obviously he did well. He got his... Uh, his citizenship, and now he's representing uh, the U.S. at the World Cup. But uh, shortly after Garth went to Seattle and Craig Weibel, who was Roldan's coach at the University of Washington, um, that's one of those uh, draft stories that you almost wish could have gone a different way. But knowing all the factors at the time, it just wasn't in the cards. But anyway, um RSL, I think, has a good a good core, and we'll get into a lot of this with Elliot here momentarily. A good core, a good foundation. Uh, some of the young guys like Hodago and Luna could continue to emerge. We'll see what happens at the center back spot with Farnsworth and Haziel Orozco on top of Eric Holt, who is exposed in this draft. And then uh, Elliot and those guys are, are out. Um, I know Kurt Schmidt, I believe, is in South America. Uh, looking for difference makers. And on top of all that, you're talking to Silva, you're talking to Sergio Cordova, uh, you're potentially talking to Bobby Wood and Nick Beisler about coming back at, at lower numbers. Um, obviously, Beisler is a guy that's been part of this club for a long, long time and would have a lot of value to offer um, on or off the field, Monarchs, Development Academy, what have you. Um, so as we grow as a club, I think there's more and more options for uh, current players, former players, ex-players, alumni, uh, maybe to come back and contribute. News coming out today that uh, Eddie Pope, who was one of the iconic early uh, players um, for Real Salt Lake, is leaving his very, very lucrative job at Octagon in their soccer agency business to oversee a uh, Maryland MLS Next Pro team, which I don't honestly know. I think they're an independent team. I do not think they're affiliated with DC United. So, uh, congrats to Eddie for that for that decision, and it'll be good to maybe cross paths with him as uh, as the Monarchs and MLS Next Pro 
continue to develop. So um, as a means of teasing this uh, very long but very, um, I think, introspective and informative interview uh, with RSL GM Elliot Fall, what were what were some of the things that he may have dropped, Ryan, that has your interest peaked about uh, how we're building this roster to uh, get into maybe a top four Western Conference slot and have a home playoff game in 2023? I don't know. A lot of scrutiny on Elliot and his team because we always feel like as fans watching from the stands that we know how to fix this team and that they don't know what they're doing. But Elliot's always he's very he's very willing to talk and he's very like cognizant of what information he should be sharing publicly and what he shouldn't be. So he's but I think one of the things that that he he kind of opens whenever I talk to him he kind of opens my eyes to like well, you know, part of it is the reality of building a professional team in in Salt Lake. There's there's challenges there that don't exist in every other market, you know. There's some unique challenges to to building a team in Salt Lake that Elliot speaks to in this interview. Yeah, I think we want to know what's going on with Silva. You know, where are talks? How how quickly can we expect maybe a, an announcement? Get that contract done. Uh, where are we at with Sergio Cordova? Uh, where are we at with maybe more U twenty two, more DPS? Like we, I do ask him about uh, about you know utilizing some of those mechanisms. Um, you know, Elliot is not telling us what his budget is, uh, how much money has been given to him from ownership to go. Uh, make changes and make additions, and and that is probably something else that could be fluid because, um, you know, the world of soccer is going to come to a halt here pretty quickly uh, for the World Cup. I doubt we're shopping at the World Cup, but it's more probable now than it has been at any time in the past. And then, uh, obviously, where does Real Salt Lake fit in uh, the glo- the global network of clubs that that David Blitzer? Um, is associated with, and obvious, and you know, we do ask Elliot here. You know, how is our association with Crystal Palace and Augsburg different because of Blitzer's ownership percentage than Estoril and Alcorcón, and now apparently Bronby and uh, Den Haag, and then certainly Beveren in Belgium. And you know, one of the things I didn't ask Elliot, which I wish I had, and 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 we'll talk. We talked about this a couple weeks ago with Rob Zarcos is. Um, the opportunity for 16 RSL slash Monarch slash Academy players to go have training stints at these various clubs. And, and what are they doing at Palace, at Augsburg? Uh, Arnold Reisenberg on some of those trips. Uh, Hamas and Alave, who we'll have here on the pod here in a couple of weeks, on those trips. So um, it's just exciting for me to see how much this club has grown, the opportunities that either young kids, developing kids, or very, very young professionals have to go into those environments and kind of see where they're at. And by all accounts, Zach Farnsworth, Gavin Beaver, some of these guys have all done very, very well uh, at their different situations. Diego Luna uh, still suffering from a bit of an ankle injury that that he came down with right before we went to Austin. He's obviously got uh, USA U20 camps and uh, the World Cup to worry about in the first half of next year. Um, so there's just a lot of exciting opportunities. We talk a lot about Bodie Hidalgo uh, coming along this year and becoming a more than just a contributor uh, late in the year here in the MLS season. So 2023 is a is far enough away, but it is around the corner and um, exciting times to see uh, how we take that next step forward and maybe leap up 
another level or two. Let me throw one more thing at you here just before we go. Um, this a little bit off topic, but the um, U.S. national team roster announced last yeah. night. Um, some interesting names on there, some interesting omissions. Uh, one, I'm going to ask this question. This is just a, a question I've had in my head. I don't know that you're that – I mean, you're definitely an expert on this idea of, like, you know, where these players go and what, you know, that kind of stuff. But I don't know that you're – this is, like, what you're thinking about the same way I'm <laughs> But uh, I'm seeing things like Zach Stefan being left off for someone like – you know, Turner, it's like, yeah. um, now Turner's playing at Arsenal. Sean Johnson. Or, and then Sean Johnson being yeah. taking that place. And so now I think like, I'm looking at like these guys, Ricardo Pepe being left, left yeah. off the list. I'm, there's this, there's this thing that happens. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a shift in, in just the, maybe it is having someone like Berhalter in charge, but it does feel like, you know, maybe when, when Klinsman was here, um, the players that stayed in MLS seem to be at the disadvantage. And what look at, what it looks like now is that the players that are staying in MLS, there's a lot of spots that are taken up by MLS players that I wasn't expecting to see. I feel like a lot of the, I mean, I don't feel like anybody on that team shouldn't be there by any means, yeah. but, but like seeing things like I've, you know, being, I don't know, is there something, I mean, do you think there's something that's being, is there a disadvantage to some of these players that are going to play in Europe right now? Is it's, that, it's funny because I feel like Klinsman was always accused of having an MLS bias. He had a weird, he had a very weird specific MLS yeah. bias, which like the old guys, I think he was like. And and with Burhalter, I think there's nine active MLS guys on this roster. There's 18 that have some sort of tie, either academy or were previously in MLS out of the 26 that he chose. I, I guess this World Cup, more than any other that I can remember, is, I, I think, Burhalter's determining factor, and I, I feel like I've seen this uh, with other countries as well, current form is a more decisive element because these guys are literally playing league games right up until yeah, like true. 10 days before the World Cup, Berhalter said some of the some of the European based guys that he chose aren't even going to get to Qatar until a week before the Wales game. Wow. So that's the first time he's going to have the whole group together. And typically in a World Cup, you're able to get everybody yeah. a month out and you play some tune up games against countries that aren't in the World Cup. And yeah. look, we're going to see Brian Ojeda play for Paraguay, um, I think against Colombia and one other team in South America before those teams travel to Qatar here. Um, I think we were hoping that Pablo Ruiz would, would be on Chile's radar. Ultimately he wasn't. Um, but I, I don't know. Like I wouldn't say I was shocked like you about any, any of the decisions that, that Burhalter made, but like Ricardo Pepe scored a ton of goals in qualifying. Right. But he didn't score at Augsburg and now he's at Groningen, which is not viewed to be as strong of a league. I think a lot of people, didn't think Josh Sargent was in the mix, but then Berhalter comes out yesterday and says, "Well, he plays in England, and you know we play Wales and we play England, so he's used to that style of play." Yeah. And I think Berhalter took nine guys that that play uh, in the UK. So I hadn't thought of that until the the effectively the British uh, Players Union, the PFA, Professional Footballers Association. They sent out a tweet this morning congratulating the nine guys. And then that triggered me hearing Burhalter with Twelman on ESPN the other day talking about his roster. It's like, okay. I mean, there just seems to be more of a a more pronounced recency bias in terms of form than than I remember ever having. Now look, 
I'm an MLS snob. I'm very much an RSL snob. Nine months ago, I thought Justin Glad would be in the mix, and I still am biased enough to think that he could go on this World Cup trip and not embarrass himself. But he's still young enough that hopefully he has a shot to represent and start for the U.S. uh, here in four years. But, I mean, with all the injuries they've had at center back, uh, the guys that are either getting old or just dropping in form, I would have liked to have seen our man Glad have have a look. I'm not saying that Walker Zimmerman doesn't deserve to start for the U.S. I know you and Tyler and other people may have um, a, a lesser view of of, of Zimmerman than I'm I not, do. My 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 <laughs> me thinking that that Justin Glad belongs in that team doesn't diminish anything I think about Walker Zimmerman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do think that the the, the inclusion of Tim Ream though does kind sure. of put that like in that, that perspective. Like I'm not again I, I, someone who I respect a lot. Tim Ream. I think he's been you know a lot. I do feel like Tim Ream has spent his career the last eight years of his career in Europe because of yeah. the uh, because. The U.S. men's national team didn't demanded that out of players from eight years ago, and I do think that like he wouldn't have been the fact that he was left off of the the roster for the last year. He hasn't been, I guess, Tim Ream, Tim Ream hasn't played with the U.S. national team since last October. Focusing on him because I think that like that's evidence that there's some players here that may be being overlooked for whatever reason. Um, also, I'm just gonna say this, and I know I have been on the Andrew Brody. You know, I'm I'm. I'm gonna fight for Andrew Brody no matter what. But I think like look at the guys that are in his position on that team and tell me that Andrew Brody wouldn't be honestly, like if I think you have to be someone who watches like you have to watch these guys play all the time. And I think that the 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 disadvantage RSL has is that the eyes aren't on this team every week. And I think yeah. that if you see Andrew Brody every week, you can say like yeah, Shaq Moore may not be that much of an upgrade over Andrew Brody. I think that like there's there's a reality. It's funny, man, because about Four or five months ago, when I put Andrew Brody out there just for MLS All Star consideration, yeah. I was laughed at for being a homer. Oh, and and I the thing is like you have to be a homer to know that about <laughs> Andrew Brody. Like that's that's right. undeniable, and that's kind yeah. of the thing. Um, but like I also honestly like that's like I don't as much as I want to be, like as much as I am a homer, as much as I'm like our oh, guys are the best, or whatever. I, with my own eyes, looking at as many games as I've seen this year and seeing people play that position and being kind of keyed into that position. There's not many people who have had better games and better performances than Andrew Brody this year. I just think that like that's it's it's one of those things like if you had him on a different roster, does he do something else? Anyway, so yeah, it's gonna be interesting. Qatar is like endlessly fascinating on every level. Um, I'm I am you know pulling 100 percent for this national team, and I, I want to see them do the. I mean, I. I feel like there's a lot of players here that I haven't like like you said this is a team I haven't seen play. I think the last couple, you know, last two World Cups, I think we kind of had an idea of what the team looked like. I mean, not last World Cup, but like the 2014. Yeah, and it's such a disjointed and I don't know if it's cuz the World Cups in the winter, I don't know if it's cuz those friendlies um the US was so dismal. I don't know if it's because Nations League and Gold Cup and like all these tournaments like I don't really even know where I'm at on yeah, this same, team. Same. Like I I look at the assembly of names and I like a lot of the guys. I've seen them play well in MLS. We've seen them play well uh in their international European based leagues. But man, it, it's a tough group. It's not the group of death, but Wales, England, and Iran are gonna be tough. Um Brian Oviedo, uh the RSL left back playing for Costa Rica. He's in a group with Spain and Japan and 
uh, another European league and a team, and that's not even the group of death. So um, I'm I'm excited just to be able to wake up early and watch three World Cup games yeah, uh, for 30 days in a row. Yeah, it's 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 a undeniably a great time amidst all of the drama and the weirdness and maybe even the uncertainty of like what this World Cup is going to be. I think this is very this this U.S. team has the opportunity to make a statement that you know maybe some of the, the the last iterations of this team haven't been able to do. I'm hoping that with the youth on this team and some of these guys that are playing in you know very prominent places right now, yeah. that we do get the the performances that do help you know raise the idea of what you know U.S. soccer is. I think there's an opportunity for that. That being said, it doesn't feel like the same team that had Dempsey, Donovan, Bradley, right. Kyle Beckerman. Sure, you know. That that team seemed like a more cohesive unit going in, and so I'm wondering. I'm hoping that 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 doesn't, you know, the idea that these guys. I mean, it does it does feel like these guys are when you see them together? They don't they don't feel like a they feel like a good unit of players. I just think that like I mean, even this roster, I, I haven't seen some of these players play together at all. So right. hopefully that doesn't. That's not as big a thing as I'm making it in my head. Yeah, but. I feel like there's there's more guys that have five or fewer caps than. I ever remember seeing yeah. before, but I, I haven't dug deep enough. That, that may just be anecdotal. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, thanks for letting me take that little version there. On the other side, the man, the myth, the legend, Rail Salt Lake General Manager, Elliot Fall, very generous with his time and his information and his nuanced approach to building this roster for season number 19 of Rail Salt Lake, season number 15 here at – America First Field. That and much, much more coming up on the other side. Bleeding Claret and Cobalt brought to you by One Wire Fiber. All right, here we go. Bleeding Claret and Cobalt, our primary interview, probably the biggest interview we'll have this entire offseason. Real Salt Lake General Manager Elliot Fall. Elliot, thanks for hanging out with us today. I'm the biggest interview you're going to have all offseason? That's well, a, I mean, besides that's, Demir, a, that's a damning statement on your... On besides your, uh, Demir, <laughs> maybe Pablo, <laughs> Homison. Anyway, yeah. we're excited to have you here. Yeah. So um, we're just about, uh, what are we? A couple weeks? Three weeks, I think, post... Austin FC in elimination, so I, I assume you've had um, time to kind of give yourself a little perspective on the 2022 season. What what are your general um, impressions? And obviously, playoffs four out of five years, 12 out of 15. Um, I think one of the biggest things that I think you should be proud of is you have been a constant um, building these rosters and and working with three different coaches, three different ownerships, three different playoff formats for those four playoff trips in the last five years. Obviously, um, there's only one team, I think, that is happy with its playoff run at the end of every every season. But uh, how would you look at 2022 um, compared to some of the previous years? It's, look, it's, uh, it's, always, it's always difficult to, to kind of – come away with one you know like you said there's only there's only one team that following the playoffs is generally you know really happy with how things went um 
there's a sour taste in your mouth. Everybody else, everybody else's season ends, you know, ends on a loss uh, of some sort. Um, and and so, look, I think I think there's a lot of positives from this year. I think there's a lot of things that we can look back on and say, you know, we we took we took steps in the right direction. We move forward as an organization, as a club. Um, and and improved and and continued to build that foundation for you know for what we want to be and and what we think we can be um for you know greater future successes but on the flip side there you know there are certain certainly disappointments i mean you know i think given the way we started the season there's you know i'd be lying if i said there wasn't you know some disappointment that we didn't that we didn't host a playoff game or two and you know, we didn't make it a little further. Um, that, that we, you know, that that we all that we all sprouted a few more gray hairs than 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 we hoped would be necessary. You know, to to get into the playoff field. Um, you know, obviously the flip side of that coin is is we were able to do it, and and you know this group again proved that when it's backs you know against the wall and it and it's it's time. You know, it's that time of the year when your season hinges on every single result. We get good performances. Um, so, you know, that that part is a double-edged sword. I mean, there's a, you know, there's positives and negatives to it. Uh, I think we saw some really good development from some young players and and some really good performance from, you know, guys that – Obviously, that we that we believed in and we expected to be contributors, but you know, but maybe contributed even more than we expected. Um, and and you know, finally, I think, and it, this is a huge credit to to that group, to the locker room, to the to the coaching staff, to the support staff. But you know, we're really able to weather some some really difficult situations as well. Um, you know, we lost we lost Demir. After you know, he played. Was it four or five? He games? played. He started three, appeared in two others. Yeah. So played in five games. Um, obviously, none after April. And that's a guy who was you know the lifeblood of this of this team the previous year. And, yeah. and um, the captain, leading scorer. I still call him best 11 from last year. Sure. I think, you know, he, he deserves that honor. Didn't, didn't quite get it. I think he was probably 12th. Um, yeah, I think you're right. But regardless, you know, one of the best players in the league and we lost him and didn't, didn't have him after April. And for the group to be able to rally behind that uh, with all the, you know, change going on and, and everything around the organization in a positive way, but, but it's still change. Sure. I mean, there's still a lot to adapt to. Um, you know, to to be able to to gut it out and get you know get there in the end and and make the playoff field and you know I think I think we were the only team in the league to lose a designated player to injury for the season um, certainly that early and and still make the playoffs uh, so you know there's some pride in that and and I think it 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 shows you know. I think it shows the ceiling of this group as well because, you know, when you look back on our last two seasons, we made the playoffs both years, um, but we did it in entirely different ways. 
in in 2021 we were we were a good attacking team you know we we scored god i think it was like 50 yeah 55 goals um you know we were top 3 top 5 in the you know in the in the league in the conference in in goal scored in attacking you know in a lot of attacking metrics but defensively we struggled and and you know we we conceded too many goals in 21 um, there's no denying that in 22, the story is almost the opposite. I mean, you know, we were, we were a really good defensive unit. Uh, we were, um, I th- think we were third in the West in, in goals conceded. Uh, you know, if you look at, if you look at some of the, you know, the underlying numbers, like the expected goals numbers, those are even probably a little more favorable. Um, or at least they, they certainly are on par with that. Uh, you know, from a league-wide performance, you know, defensively we were a good unit, but we didn't score enough goals. Um, and and so, you know, I think part of that obviously Demir impacts that. There there are other things that impact that, but for the group to be able to, you know, I think be versatile and, um, I'm going to say dynamic. And what I mean by dynamic when I say that is dynamic in in abilities to get results and and different ways to get results and and win games, I do think is a big positive. And it shows our ability, you know, moving forward to, you know, we have a group that can be a really good defensive unit and and there are goals to to be scored. And I think I think that's our primary focus this offseason is is how do we, you know, how do we maintain that defensive record? How do we main maintain that stability in that that organization, but but be more dynamic going forward and, and goal dangerous. And I think there's a lot of pathways to that and a lot of realistic pathways, truthfully. Yeah, and there's a million places to go. Obviously, you know, not having Demir all year. I feel like losing Bobby Wood when we did was a massive factor that is kind of underappreciated. I'd have to go back and look. I believe he and Savarino only played 14 minutes together. It's something like that. I mean, I, I can certainly tell you we we never had – you know, once once we signed once we signed Saverino, obviously he's in our first choice attacking group, and we never once played with what you would think that first choice group would be. You right, know, Sava, Dami. You know, obviously Sava and Dami didn't play it play at all right. this year, so we, of course there were no minutes played between them. But but yeah, I think you know Sava made his debut in that Houston game. Bobby played in that game. But, but they probably played. Sava in Vancouver came a off bit came together. off the bench. Yeah, they probably played in Vancouver a bit, and he came off the bench in that one as well. Yeah. And I feel like I'd have to go yeah. back and look. I think Bobby kind of came off maybe a little early in some of those. Yeah, he and, he wasn't going full ninety. Yeah, and then when and, and, and the game that he did start, which I think was against Columbus, maybe. No, well, it was the San Jose game because it was San the, Jose. The San Jose game after the Vancouver game is when Bobby Bobby got Bobby hurt then got early, hurt and, yeah. and and so. You know, look to, to your point. That group, we we never once saw that full attacking group on yeah. the field together. Um, and Julio's health was very intermittent this year, but it did give a lot of guys chance. Like, I don't know, man. Like, we I think we had 15 different players score. Like, we didn't have the big 15 goal score like Demir was in 21, right? Yeah. Um, Sergio found his way a little bit. Um, obviously with 11 goals, including the two in the playoffs. Um, Savarino, I think it took him some time, but he was obviously 
the two Venezuelans, I think, scored or assisted on 20 of our last 25 goals this year. Um, I guess the point I'm trying to get at is there's a lot to build on. Well, bring yeah, Demir back. Yeah, you know, I can, I, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't prepare any of these of these numbers walking in here. So you know, some of them I might get wrong by a little bit, but I believe you know we of playoff teams we played the most players this year. Okay. Um, which I think is a you know a testament again to the group and the depth of the group and and the ability of guys to step in and, and do a job. Um, we had a lot of guys who were called on this year to do that, and and I think I don't remember the exact number, but yes, it's the you know separate goal scorers. I think it, we might have been, you know, there I, might be one playoff team that had as many as we did. Yeah, um, I, I think we had twelve players that had two or more, mm-hmm. so it was very much by committee. Mm-hmm. I don't remember how many guys just scored one goal, but I think it was three or four. So that's fifteen or sixteen different guys that score. Um, obviously, you know, as you like to say, we're a developmental club. I think we had what ten thousand homegrown minutes led the league again. Nine thousand nine hundred ninety-eight. Yeah, to to. I wish we could have found those two more, but <laughs> but no. I think including and that's including the playoffs. And so when you include the playoffs, I think yeah, I think we led the league again. And obviously, um, which Bro- I Brody think is the fifth straight year. Yeah, too, which I think is, you're right. You know, another Brody another Glad Herrera. I mean, you know, Brody is a guy that certainly emerged, and he was all over the place and constant engine. I think he played all but 100 minutes of the season, and 45 of those minutes was the first half at New York City. Um, obviously, Zach McMath, I think, played every minute of the year, the first true Ironman, so that might have been a little unexpected going into the year. You had all the Achoa stuff. Um, it was the first full year for Pablo. Um, obviously, new owners came in in January. We'll get to that in a minute, but... One of the things I tell people, just from my perspective being around the team, is despite that kind of summer swoon, I think we went through a period where we won four out of 19 games, five out of 20, whatever it was. Pablo and his staff's ability, and certainly Demir deserves credit, Bobby Wood, Glad, Silva. I mean, there's plenty of guys that are on that kind of senior Zach uh, leadership committee, but that locker room never fractured. Yeah, I I've actually talked a lot about this um, internally and and to a few other people. I, I I think Pablo did a I think Pablo did a great job this year. Um, you know I'm I'm really proud of the way you know Pablo led the group in a lot of ways, but I don't think you can understate the job he does of keeping you know the culture of the locker room and just the group in general together. Um, we've all, you know, seen teams over the years where that so I, I think some of the most difficult situations for a coach are when, you know, when you have, especially when, you know, when you have a good run of form, when you start really well, and then you go through a real, a real challenging stretch, um, that's when questions start to get asked. And that's when things get difficult, you know, in a locker room and you see it in every sport, you see it all over the place. That's when kind of fractures occur. And there was never once even the slightest inkling of that. Mm -hmm. And um, it's not even something that there was a concern about. And, And that's what I, you know, I think he deserves a ton of credit for, 
for managing that and, and keeping that group together and, and, you know, making sure that the guys understand, you know, the project and what's expected of them and how they can contribute to, to pulling the group out of that. And that, that, that group can be successful and that that group can, you know, figure it out, turn things around and, and, and get back to those positive ways. And we did, I mean, there's no, there's no question on my mind by the end of the year, we were, again, we were playing really well. Um, and, and even though we didn't have that like Cinderella run lightning in a bottle, like we did in 21, how would you characterize the growth? If that's the right word, stability, whatever from Pablo, um, in, in this year compared to last. I think I mean it's obviously a slightly different job mm-hmm. than being the interim just trying yeah. to get a team into the playoffs and yep and obviously I, you know I I think last year was a case of nobody expected anything of us outside of the you know the four walls I think we all had real expectations upon ourselves last year and and we all believed that there was there was more to the group and and more you know, more that we could do than, than anybody else thought we could. Um, so I think last year was a real, you know, us against the world mentality. Yeah. Uh, whereas this year, you know, and, and obviously that, that culminated in a, or I guess culminated maybe the wrong word, but that, that ended in, in, you know, a really fun playoff run and and some successes in the playoffs and and um, late in the season, which certainly internally, I guess maybe not quite as much externally. It didn't didn't change the expectations all that much right. for this year, but internally, there were expectations that we were going to build on that, and you know, we were going to take steps forward as a team, and. and and I think we did in a lot of ways. I think, you know, again, that, you know, the run early in the year where we, you know, a number of really good results. And and look, some of those, were we a little bit fortunate maybe in some of those in, in terms of, you know, the result breaking our way? Sure. I think on the flip side, we were a little unfortunate at points later in the year. So it all evened out. Um, but I think... I think last year was was a really, and I, when I say last year, I mean twenty twenty one. It was a it was a tumultuous year. It was there were, you know, significant challenges that nobody expected us to be able to overcome. You know, basically around every corner. This year, it was less. It the challenges were less. You know, of that kind of tumultuous nature, mm-hmm. and more. You know, just some of the challenges that you encounter as a team in this league. Um, Injuries, you know, we didn't we didn't have as many injury issues last year. We have more injury issues this year. Right. Uh, just difficult runs of form, things not breaking your way. I mean, it, honestly, just some of the things that happen in MLS and you know in a league with, frankly, the amount of parity that we have. Yeah, margins um, are so racer. They, yeah, they are, and so I think this year that the challenges. It's not to say they were more or less difficult to overcome, but they were just different challenges. Yeah. And so 
Uh, you know, one thing I would say is, and you know this as well as 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 I do, and anybody certainly here knows. There's nothing that this group hasn't seen in the last two years, <laughs> um, three years. Yeah. So it does give me a lot of optimism for the future in that, again, I think we took positive steps forward. I think there are things to build on and we've encountered all the adverse, like whatever yeah. kind of adversity, adversity you want to throw our way. This is a group that's shown it can, it can overcome that adversity. This is going to come off as like an either or question. And I don't mean it to, because obviously you need both and a lot of other stuff to succeed, but Looking at the decision day home game against Portland, right? Must win. Uh, Savarino gets the early goal. Bodie Hidalgo gets the late goal. I think I tweeted the next day, like, and you've been around as long as anybody, but in my 16 full seasons around this team, I don't know that I've ever seen a guy improve more from February 1st to October 1st than Bodie. But at the same time, so like that was a critical moment for me when I look back at this year um and he's he's an example of Pablo throwing a lot of guys in right Pierre Reedy got seven minutes in Colorado in April because of the injury crisis Diego Luna kept earning more and more minutes the longer he was around and obviously next year is going to be a big year for him there's a million of these type of examples but I was also similarly I guess um encouraged, I guess is the right word, that Savarino kind of grabbed the bull by the horns and said, I'm going to get this done for us. Like, Sure. I, so I, those are just two examples of guys stepping up. Obviously, we saw Brody step up. Marcelo Silva playing, I think, 1,100 more minutes than he had ever played in an MLS season before. And, you know, Pablo talked all year long about how Marcelo's maybe a slightly different player when he's got that armband. On. So he certainly stepped up kind of in the time of need. And Pablo Ruiz's first half of the season was awesome. Um, so, I mean, we could go down the 30 guys on the roster and everybody had a, a moment where they stepped up and, and gives you and the rest of your staff and Pablo and his staff an indication of what, what is there to build on in 23. So I guess what were some of those other maybe random moments that, that come to mind when you're thinking about and honestly, here's the so our friend Ray Trafari tweeted back at me, and he believes that Tony Beltran made a similar improvement from February first, October first of two thousand eight of his rookie okay. season, which I which I think is probably not a bad shout, but yeah. um, I don't know, man. So just it was a crazy year. Obviously, results were all over the place. Drop points at home, surprising points on the road. Like you say, those things tend to kind of even out over time. But uh, looking ahead to twenty three, who are some of the guys that maybe? Uh, found a way to emerge, and and I include Savarino in that because, you know, he never really had a break. He came in, took a minute to maybe adjust, and then uh, did what he does, and and he helped Sergio acclimate. You know, um, I, I don't know. There's not really a question here other than, you know, who are some of the situations? What are some of the situations? Who are some of the guys you're excited for 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 next year? Yeah, as you I, build around this core. Sure. I think I mean I think you touched on a few, you know, really good ones there. Yeah. The, you know, I'll I'll talk a little bit about the Bodie story cuz the Bodie one is really it's fun and it's a I think it's a great example of what, you know, of one of the the pathways to success that you can have at this club, which is 
you know, a real developmental pathway and, and, and taking steps day after day to get better and move forward. And, and like you said, by the end of the year, he was performing at a really high level. I mean, not, I look at, look, I look at, he, he comes into the Portland game and, and plays really well and free and scores the goal. And, you know, it was awesome to watch. He was great. Yeah. But I look at the, I look at the, you know, the 60 minutes he played in Austin the next week mm. as maybe even more impressive mm. uh, in that he came in in an unbelievably hostile environment in, you know, in a, in a situation where we were clearly going to be under it. You know, yeah. I, it's. And How I, would you compare his Austin performance to his Atlas performance? Obviously, uh, one has a meaningful competition, the other isn't. But that Atlas game, I thought he was the best player on the field. He was fantastic against Atlas. And I think, look, I think the Atlas game actually was a springboard for him to right. come in and both find some confidence but but show what he has to offer and the growth over the year that, that he has made. So was, was but, something like that needed for like the academy kids to look up to? Because there's been a little bit of a gap, right, in terms of academy contribution. Is that fair? Yeah. Because, I, like, for so long, it's been Glad and Herrera. A little, and then Brody came in. But I now mean, having, like, a new, a new face. Yeah, you're right. You know, we – I think certainly I, we were spoiled by that group, <laughs> by that class. Right. Um, but, like, Axel was awesome the second half against Atlas, too. Axel was fantastic. Uh, so, you know, I is something like that needed – uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, you always need – you constantly need for players to continue to break through and to continue to prove um, the value and the and the, the development is happening, um, that you can never have too many of those guys for the for the younger players to look up to. Yeah. So, so yes, it's it's important and it's it's massive. Uh, I think that game was – one that really did show what some of those young guys have to offer. Um, what about a guy? And we haven't even mentioned like a guy like Jasper. Yeah, who just figured out a way yep. to become indispensable. Yeah, I mean, and look, he's a he's a kid that played in college. You know, goes the old you know the old MLS route of you know playing in college and being a really, really good college player and then and then coming in and working in preseason every single day to get better. And, and you know, you, you talk about what kind of an example that is for, uh, I guess, not young guys, but um, because he because he's a young guy. But but, you know, y you see the work he puts in every single day and the example he sets uh, and, and the tone he sets and it's, it's awesome to see. And that's, that's one of the reasons he, he did make himself an indispensable player. Um, so Jasper's a really exciting player. You know, you see guys like Brian Ojeda and Brian Oviedo who came in and, you know, in the secondary window and absolutely hit the ground running. Um, did you send a check to Nottingham Forest yet? <laughs> <laughs> I don't I don't have a checkbook anymore, um, personally. <laughs> no, you know, look, I've talked about it. We, he's the, he's come in, done really well. We, 
we have an option in the you know in the deal to make that deal permanent um and let me ask a dumb question because obviously everybody's excited about Ojeda based on you know his six or seven mm-hmm. games um is there an adv- other than him saying I want you guys to commit to me and I want to be here is there any reason to exercise that option prematurely I guess or prior to the July deadline or whatever no no I mean no, there's not a necessity to do that. Yeah. I, you know, I think it is always helpful when we can clear a player's mind and give him the, yeah. you know, give him the clarity that he, where he's going to be and he doesn't have to worry about, you know, further upheaval, anything like that. So mm-hmm. there is value in that. But like you said, you know, there, aside from, you know, those, those, personal dynamics there's there's no need to i mean yeah. there's not a procedurally there's not an advantage no okay um i guess that's a good segue to you know working for the last what nine or ten months with uh the blitzer football group which i don't think many people realize it really hadn't been some long established entity prior to the Ray salt lake purchase so um some clubs like Crystal Palace and Augsburg, the, the Blitzer Group is a minority owner, much like Ryan Smith is here with us. And some of the other clubs, Estoril, um, Beveren, um, now apparently Bronby is part of the umbrella. Um, I saw yeah. reported Auto, last week. Otto Den Haag. Den Haag, yep. Um, how's that dynamic been? Because I think you're you're kind of the tip of the spear probably teaching these guys how MLS works with all of its uh, – uh, procedures and the very intricate cap dynamics and stuff that don't exist sure internationally but i think for us on the outside and the fans like seeing everton go over there and score a great goal and mm-hmm. having Cablan come back and forth obviously cordova is the the biggest example of uh some sort of symbiosis between uh one of those clubs and us um obviously his future is kind of up in the air as as we record this going into next year, but how would you say that uh, relationship between you, Scott Crace, um, the sporting directors at these other clubs kind of evolved over the last uh, nine, 10 months? Uh, I, look, I think it's been, it's been a great process. It's been a great learning experience for all of us. You know, you, you talk about kind of the, the intricacies and nuances of operating in MLS and how different that is from, you know, a lot of these other leagues and teams. Uh, I will say I learn every day that every one of those teams has their own nuances and intricacies in how they operate and how they need to, to function, you know, within their, within their community, within their market, within their league to, to be successful. So, uh, it's it's certainly not to say that our challenges are any you know greater than than theirs. Uh, they're certainly not. Um, so it's been it's been great to kind of get to know that group and and learn some of those things. And I think we're only just dipping our toe in the water right, right now of what that looks like. I mean, I think it's going to be it's a long term project, mm-hmm. and it's. On a global scale, quite literally. Yeah. Um, and so 
it is very exciting. I think there's a lot of opportunity. You know, there's there's ways we can all work with each other to make each other better. Yeah. Uh, and some of that's on the field. Some of that's with players. Some of that's with coaching. Some of that's with, you know, sharing best practices. Some of that's truthfully just with bouncing ideas off each other. I mean, there's there's any number of ways it will benefit all of us. And I think that's that's a very exciting thing for – you know, for the the global group, but for for RSL specifically, and and you know, hopefully for our fans as well, in the long term. I know Pablo has talked periodically this year about how much he appreciates the collaboration, uh, you know, with you and Tony and Kurt and Rob, um, and the scouting staff and everybody, just in terms of looking at players, identifying players, both like self scouting and also you know, for every window, like figuring out who you want to bring in, how you guys want to play, how you want to have, I guess, flexible, tactical flexibility, all that kind of stuff. Um, Cause I think a lot of people that have been around MLS a long time and I don't want to speak for Pablo, but he's said it. So I guess I could kind of quote him. He didn't have that in Colorado. He was basically told here are the guys <laughs> that you have to play with. And he was really shielded from, the discovery, I guess, aspect of of roster development, and obviously, under the new ownership, he's been asked to kind of be a part of that with you guys. So, um, I don't know what's the what is the biggest challenge? Is it is it getting a coach's buy in? And I guess now we're getting back to a time where you guys can travel and scout, and you're not dependent just on watching video like you, you were for so long during COVID affected years. But I guess I'm just curious, like, what is it? Is it a guy at Beverin saying, Hey, we think this guy might be good for you. Or is it you guys watching Augsburg and Den Hog and whoever and saying, cause it's easy for us to all say, Hey, why don't, why doesn't palace just give us Zaha, right? Like that'll solve some problems. It might create some others, but who knows? Um, it'll create some problems for some other teams is what it'll do. <laughs> Um, but like, I think that's the, that's the thing. And again, I learned a lot talking to you and Pablo and others about this stuff, but like, look, we all love Zaha, but can you bring a $15 million player into an MLS locker room successfully? Sure. I, I, all, I, all good questions. You know, and, um, and what works for LAFC may not work for us or what, sure. what works for us may not work for Miami. I don't know. Well, look, to speak to like an, an example like that specifically, the player also has to Right. want to do that. I mean, that's, you know, we, we can't just, even, even if we, you know, even if both teams are, you know, wholly owned by the same entity, the the player has to say, yes, I want to, I want to do that. That has to be something the players bought into. Um, but, but more broadly speaking, um, what's the biggest challenge? Uh, or opportunity. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, you, you talk about the collaboration. You talk about how um, we all try to work very closely together in the, you know, the decision-making process to make the best decisions for, you know, the team and the club. It can be difficult to, to build consensus, right? It, it can be. Because but Pablo's worried point. about Thursday and you're worried well, about the next two windows, right? Sure, but 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 
By the way, that is the point of being collaborative <laughs> right. and building the consensus is the challenge of doing it. If Because if it was easy and we were all just, you know, one side of it was just going to say, yes, we should do that. And the other one, you know, was going to get out of the way, then you're not improving your decision-making process. You're not, you know, I, I think the, the point of the collaboration and the point of getting everybody in the room together is that you do, you know, beat up every decision to the point that you're making an efficient, positive decision from all angles. Like it's, you know, for every decision that we execute or for every, let's say, let's say in the player acquisition process, for every player that we acquire, there are probably, I mean, there's five or 10 players we have intense discussion about there's a hundred or <laughs> 200 players right. that we're looking at closely. And there's, you know, 500 plus players that, that are getting dumped into the funnel at some point. So the whole idea of incorporating all of these different perspectives and different ideas is to refine that process and, and make it an exhaustive, thorough process so that at the end, you have the best decision. I guess that's the yin and yang of it. I've never thought about it this way, but like, I guess sitting here now on November 8th or 9th or whatever day it is, 10th, it's probably easy to say Diego Luna and Danny Masofsky were maybe long-term decisions or acquisitions, but Oviedo and Ojeda were short-term. But that probably was isn't something I would have said it's Back on August sixth. I mean, that's whatever. not something I would have said. Right. Um, right. I, I, what I would it have said is that up... I, I believed. And, and look, this is again, this is why it is such an exhaustive process. But it is so that, for the most part, I mean, obviously there are sometimes you have to make a little decision to, mm -hmm. you know, to solve a problem in the short term. But for the most part, every decision, especially from a roster building standpoint that we're making is one that we believe can be positive in the short term and positive in the long term. Um, is one more weighted than the other or it's a case-by-case -case basis? I certainly think it's a case-by-case -case basis. Yeah. Uh, it, you, you can't universally weigh one of them over the other or yeah. you will you will end up with an imbalance in how you build things because there is a balance. There, there has to be a balance. Um, we have to build the roster yeah. to be successful all the time. We also have to build the roster to be successful looking forward X amount of time. Right. Because if we don't, we're, we're not setting ourselves up for the, the successes that we want to have. So obviously right now you guys are in the midst of, of the primary transfer window of planning for that and how you're going to build around this core. And I imagine there's options that create flexibility, right? And some of that is tamable DP. Some of that is seeing what happens with St. Louis and all these MLS mechanisms over the next month to see who kind of becomes available or not and what other teams are doing, right? That can always influence um where you guys are going um i think the fans that are listening to this podcast you know they would love to hear you say 
we're going to go get two more DPs and we're going to do two more U22s or whatever. But um, there's 16 other ways to add players and build around this roster. And some of it's going to probably depend on what Marcelo Silva decides, what Sergio Cordova decides, right? Like there's a lot of dynamics. Um, yeah. Every, play. Look, everything's fluid all the time. Yeah. Uh, if the, if, look, these, these decisions and these jobs would all be a lot easier if you could just take a snapshot in time. Sure. And that's all that, that you only had to make decisions based on that information. Yeah. But that's not the case. Yeah. That information changes every single day. Um, you know, when when you talk about the different mechanisms at our disposal, I think we have a lot of flexibility and a lot of different ways that we can improve. Um, do, you know, I can tell you we're not going to go out and sign three new DPs because – you know, Jefferson Savary knows a DP and and he's a player that we believe in wholeheartedly. Right. I mean, you know, and we saw what he has to offer. So, you know, you can say definitively that that DP slot is spoken for. Uh, you know, we're going into the season with Brian Ojeda. He's a U22. Again, spoken for. Outside of that, there is flexibility. Now, that doesn't mean that you can simply do anything you want. Um yeah. What about so, selling all of your international spots for GAM like Nashville just did? Uh, <laughs> you can do that. Then you better hope that that you find a lot of good domestic players. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I think we, <laughs> we, can, we can go off on the international spot tangent. But, you know, our club, unfortunately, is at a slight disadvantage in that in 2005, an international spot was slated, traded away forever in perpetuity uh, that we still do not have back uh someday hopefully we can you know we can get that spot back but we don't have it so we're we're at a one spot deficit so those are certainly a premium for us um are those all basically one-year rentals that nashville and other teams trade yeah. when you trade in an international yep. spot yep exactly um I, I could tell you the league wouldn't even allow you to trade one forever anymore got so. it well that's that makes sense actually um we could go on and on all day i don't want to keep you but when you look at going into next year, obviously it's a big year for Diego Luna from a U20 perspective. But when you look at Diego Luna, Savarino, Ojeda, Oviedo, who who played 90 for Costa Rica last night in a World Cup tune-up, we're all excited to see him in the, in the World Cup in Qatar. Um, I'm probably missing a couple other guys, but how excited should we all be about those guys coming in and having a full preseason with the team and Pablo going into 2023? Very excited. Um, you know, another guy you missed there, Anderson Julio. Yeah. Anderson wasn't a part of preseason last year. Obviously he was a part of the group the year before, so right. it's not, it's a little but different. But still just but building that fitness base. I mean, Rubio Rubin's a perfect example of what happens when yep. you miss preseason. Yeah. Yeah, certainly. So I think, that is very exciting and something that we are all, you know, I, I think, we, look, sitting in, sitting in my chair and, and in, you know, the group that, that we work with in making these decisions in roster building, um, it's, a, it's a very important balance that we always have to strike um, between looking externally and improving our roster with pieces externally. We always have to do that. I, I'm not, I'm not dismissive of that. Uh, you know, I think 
you can make additions to the roster that can be transformational in a lot of ways. I think, um, you know, I, for example, Sava was that for us this year. I think even, you know, the Brian O's, if you want to call them that, Oviedo and Ojeda in the secondary window, they were that a bit. I think they were transformational for what we saw by the end of the season. Um, so, you know, we need to continue to evaluate those pieces. But continuity is, continuity is a very underrated mm. piece of success in this league as well. Yeah. Um, I mean, during our heyday when we had that run of 50-point, mm-hmm. 15-win seasons, I think we had eight starters that were together for almost eight years. Yeah, so, I mean, and, and look, you look at the teams that had success this year, yeah. and a lot of them had significant continuity from last year to this year. Even, you know, look, even the LAFCs who you talk about and you say, oh, they, they had this transfer window where they brought all these guys in and it was, you know, you know, Gareth Bale. And by the way, Gareth Bale, of course, made a massive play, you know, helping them win that title. But the core pieces of that team, Gareth Bale never played 90 minutes for them. Right. Chiellini didn't start the final. Um, I don't think he even played in the final. Uh so these pieces that they brought in, and, and they're good pieces. I'm not, it's not a criticism in the slightest. But a lot of their successes were really built upon the continuity and the pieces that had been there for, um, for the last several years. Philadelphia, even more so in a lot of ways. Um, even Austin. Austin, their roster this year was very similar to the roster that finished the year for them last year. Um, and I remember you saying, even when they didn't make the playoffs a year ago, you said that they were a very good roster, a very well-constructed roster. Yeah, you could see by the end of last year that they yeah. were building something yeah. and that they had a long-term plan and vision and they weren't going to just – they weren't going to pull the plug on that because they had a rough first year. It's, it's MLS. An expansion team has a lot of uh, – you're you're behind the eight ball in a lot of ways. Sure. Um, so even with all that gam, they yeah. Look, the, <laughs> obviously the gam helps, but you have no continuity. You, you yeah. It's it it's literally impossible to have continuity as an expansion team. You don't you you didn't have a roster the year before. So to be able to build something and then have a group come together, you know, I, I think it's interesting because we had a lot of turnover this year as well. Um, but some of the continuity in the it's about continuity in the right areas um, and and being able to trust the pieces that that understand what you're doing and then plugging in, you know, the right pieces to to supplement and surround and elevate that that group, that core group. That's, I think, you know, one of the keys to success in our league. So um, and look, by the way, I think that's the same in in any team building sport, in any earning team sport in, you know, in global soccer, you look at there are teams that go out and spend a ton of money every single year and they struggle because they don't have the, you know, Man City is as good as Man City is not because they bring in the best individual player every year. And look, I know I'm saying that on the heels of Erling Holland coming in and scoring a thousand goals for them in the first eight games of the year. But the reality is, the rest of that roster, there's a lot of continuity. Lot of there's continuity. a lot of pieces that have been there for a long time, and without that foundation, they wouldn't have this success. They would. There's no chance. The current iteration of the Utah Jazz are blowing all of our continuity uh, arguments out are of the they? water. 
I think so. Are they though? Because they've brought in a bunch of uh, no, 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 NBA but, veterans that are playing for each other and playing for contracts. Agreed, but but what and I man, will point out, but what I will say is, you know, some of some of their key players, Conley and Clarkson, are Mike Conley, yeah. Jordan Clarkson, guys who have been a part of this. Now, I also agree with you that they have brought in. A, there's been a lot of upheaval, a lot of change. Now, interestingly, some of those pieces obviously come from the same team. So there is even continuity yeah, amongst right. those pieces, uh, you know, and the final thing I would say is basketball is inherently different because there's only five players on the court at one time. So the honest truth is any, t- if you even make one change, you're changing 20% of, you know, what is happening on, on the court. Um, so it's a sport that is actually, I'll I'll flip it and I'll say you know you look at you look at who won the title last year, uh, you know your favorite Golden State Warriors, <laughs> um, and they won it. I would say on the back of the core group that they've had together sure. for a long, long time, yeah. and it's the understanding that those players have playing with each other that allows. I mean, you know, they weren't the most heralded team coming into last year. They weren't the team. That everybody Nobody said, thought Andrew Wiggins was going to be an all-star. Sure. And and again, th- this is the balance that you have to strike. Because you do have to go out and you do have to bring players in. And and Im- you, you constantly have to improve. It's it's not it's not that it's not that you you can just stand pat and not make any changes. You can't do that and be successful. You constantly have to evolve. You constantly have to improve. But you do have to understand that there is a balance of that and that improvement can come internally as well. You know, like, you know, you you talk about some of the guys on our roster and, you know, Bodie Hidalgo is a great example of that. At the beginning of the year, he was nine games into a position change and playing for the Monarchs and at times struggling. Mm -hmm. And by the end of the year, he's playing at a high level and, you know, has developed over the course of the year into – you know, into a player who can contribute for you. So, you know, we have we have countless guys in our organization at different phases of that process. And the the truth is, we are always going to be counting on, or we're always going to be building the roster to accommodate a handful of those guys every single year coming in and grabbing a bigger role. And being a bigger contributor. On a scale of 1 to 10, how confident are you that Demir comes back 100%? It's a tricky question to answer. I'm at a 9, just so. No, I'm very confident that Demir is going to come back and he's going to contribute and he's going to be a very, very important player for us. Part of this comes down to, like, what's your definition of 100% healthy? Yeah. Like, Demir had a back surgery, so there isn't – like, he has had – so picking he, up where he left off in 2021 is probably not reasonable. <laughs> well, it's it's not even that. Uh, 16 goals. To me, well, I guess six. what I'm saying is like take the on-field performance right. part away from it. If you're saying Demir is going to be the same physically that he was to end 2021, no, he's not because he had a surgery right. that has fundamentally th- – there is a structural change in – and to be clear – all the doctors believe very confidently that he's in a very good place and that those structural changes are positive. I'm not saying it's a negative sure, structural sure. change, but there is 
and and I think this is actually one of the things that Demir, I don't know, if struggled with, but but had to adapt to over the course of the year. I think it's one of the things that was maybe the biggest challenges for him was, and, and we by the way we can't ignore the fact that this is the first surgery Demir's ever had. Yeah. So not only is Demir having a back surgery, but he's having, but it's his first ever surgery. So there is, he has to go through the process of of understanding the changes in his body that have happened and how those impact what he does on a day-to-day basis, what he does on the field. Um, all of this said, Demir, by the end of the year, was almost in full training. Right. I mean, he And by, since the season ended, he's been training with the Monarchs and with the guys who are still here, essentially fully. So Demir is healthy. Uh, he's He's healthy. It's now a matter of, you know, fully – I guess to your point, getting back to where he was physically, you know, from a strength standpoint, and and all of those, all of those gaps are closing and closing quite positively and well. So I think, look, I feel very confident that Demir is going to be back on the field and contributing for us. Um, it's the long way of saying I don't know that I don't I don't even know how to answer the <laughs> the the health question because, yeah. you know. Demir is a, he's just going to be a little di- cuz when i say he's different it's going to people are going to be worried that what i'm saying he's is negatively is, different it's like yeah. negative i i don't it doesn't mean that right. it's just we'll see exactly how he feels when he's back on the field in preseason maybe a blessing in disguise that guitar got the world cup so he's got 10 extra weeks to get ready for preseason as opposed to a year ago yeah i mean and you know i talked to our staff you know who do a great job of working with him every single day. And I, I talked to them. I've talked to Demir. Yeah. Everybody feels really good. Yeah. I mean, it's... I was very encouraged when I talked to Demir last week about where he's at and what he expects for next year. Yeah, I mean, I talked to him as he was jogging off the field, having just, you know, played with, you know, done a session with the Monarchs. So it's, I don't... I guess what I'm getting at is I think, you know, we will see, a, you know, some... We, we will see a different Demir uh, in January than, than we saw for the last... Nine months or will Jefferson Savarino's 2023 stats bomb radar mirror Hani Mukhtar's? (laughs) If Mukhtar and Drisi leave this league, (laughs) is that a big door opening for Saba? I know they're all different players, but I don't, I mean, situations (laughs) you're saying this because you've probably, you've probably seen those stats bomb radars and I will tell you they're more, they're more similar than people might expect. The pro-rated Savarino and yeah, that's, it goes back to my Jefferson being here for a whole year. Yeah. I think, look, I think Jefferson was really impactful for us this year and only was here for, you know, half the year, basically, you know, he played half of. He basically played half the minutes both of those guys played. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he was very productive in that amount of time. To your point, he is a he is a different player. Um, I don't think those guys have to leave for there to be an opportunity for Jefferson sure. as well. Oh, I think I think, like we talked about earlier, Jefferson spending the whole preseason with the group um, and a whole preseason with Pablo and having, you know, been reacclimated to the community and to the club and to everything that's happening. 
is going to put him in a better place to be successful for a full 2023 season. So, look, I, we all have great hopes for him and and uh, that he's going to be able to not just continue what he did this year, but build on what he did this year and, and be even better. How would the gravity of just having Demir on the field, wherever he is, open things up for Severino? I think the gravity for both of them opens up things for both of them. And I think the the type of creativity that 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 Sava is able to to bring to the table only benefits Demir. Um, you know, he's I'm certainly excited. I you know, they've they've obviously played together before and I kn- I know for a fact that they enjoyed playing together. Um and so I think they're both excited for what that's going to look like next year and the opportunities that are going to be there for both of them. Um, and, you know, I know we're all excited about what we can add on top of all of that that can create for both of them, and not just both of them, but the other attacking pieces on our roster. There's a, you know, we have a lot of really good attacking pieces. It's just a matter of, um, you know, I think this year a lot of it came down to asking so much of some guys because we didn't, you know, because we went through a lot of injury difficulties that it's important to be able to keep guys fresh and to be able to put guys in positions to be successful week in and week out. And adding some pieces around what we have right now will allow not just, you know, those say those new pieces to be successful, but will allow all of those other pieces to be more successful than they were this year. Um, I meant to get to this earlier. And I've heard you talk about it with Spence. I've heard you talk about it on uh, other podcasts. But those end-of-season meetings, which are obviously difficult when you have to tell guys that you're not picking up their option or – they're exposed in the expansion draft, and obviously there's a lot of wrinkles to all this. But um, a naturally difficult, I guess, 48 hours for you and your staff, Pablo and his staff, to have these discussions. But you also said this was maybe the best year of that. Is that what goes into you kind of having that dichotomy of feelings about about these meetings? Uh, it's really simple. Um the days that we do exit meetings are the worst days of the year, almost every single year. And the reality is it's because you have to tell people that you're moving in a different direction. Um, and we can't ignore the fact that each of these guys is a human being who has poured immense effort and made immense sacrifices for to, to get to where they are. And you're saying – that isn't here anymore. And it's, it's never fun. Um, the reason I would say this year maybe wasn't as bad as previous years is because we didn't have to do it with as many people. Um, but it doesn't change the fact, like having one of those conversations would make it a, you know, not a fun day, but at least this year we didn't have to have as many of those. I guess is what I would say. Um, And that's for a lot of reasons. I think it's partially because 
we had a lot of guys step up and do a lot of really good things this year. And so we don't feel like those are places where we need to make changes. Um, and, and look, it's honestly, it's also kind of the nature of this league now. Uh, there's less roster turnover, you know, on option decision day mm -hmm. as there used to be. Yeah. It, it used to be that almost every player had an option in their contract every single year. And right, now right. And, everything was one plus one plus one. Yeah. Right. And now it, it's the, you know, option decisions are less common than players who, you know, where there is, or basically players who are guaranteed yeah. for the next year. Um, how does having a winter world cup and kind of the leagues around the world shutting down relatively simultaneously affect your scouting and recruitment strategy for the upcoming window? It's, it's, uh, it adds some difficulties, but also makes some things a little easier is the, is the honest truth to it. Just like basically every off season, there's a unique wrinkle to it. Yeah. Um, so what I mean by that is the difficulty is nobody's playing. We can't go watch teams. We can't go watch guys play live for the next six weeks. There's just, there's not games to watch. Um, so that's a significant difficulty. The positive is it gives us a little more time to do some of the other background work, the, you know, the character conversations, the, you know, the, I, you know, for lack of a better word, like the reference checks, the, um, you know, we can go fly and speak to a player in maybe his home market, sure. which is always a valuable thing to do to see who the person is and to, to gauge, you know, what kind of character they are and, and what they are going to bring to the table. Um, Has it become easier for foreign players to assimilate and adjust to MLS in the last four or five years? Yeah, I mean, I think definitely in some ways it has. Is that because the maturity of the league and of each front office in terms of doing the necessary things to help a player and his family that fit in? Yeah, that's a huge part of it. Um, uh, yeah, a, a huge part of it is both an understanding of the process and how players acclimate and how that, you know, what they need to acclimate and, and frankly, an investment in providing those resources. Mm -hmm. um, you know, for a long, long time, players were really on their own because there weren't, you know, there, there weren't the resources within the organization to, and this is every organization, yeah. I mean, if, you know, that there weren't the resources within organizations to, assist players through every step of the process. Um, I, honestly, I think another part of it, and this is, this cuts both ways, but I think it certainly helps. There's, we're, <laughs> there is a ton more money in this league now. Yeah. Um, salaries for players have gone, I'm not going to say through the roof, but they've significantly increased in the last five to 10 years, dramatically. Yeah. And so those players who are coming here now have more resources. It's it's easier for them, you know, you're not bringing in a, you know, you're not bringing in a player from a foreign country who's never left his home country before and is, you know, 19 years old and trying to do all of that while making 
forty thousand dollars yeah, or something like yeah. that. What you're you're dealing with players who often, you know, because of the levels of investment now, these are players who've been who've been multiple places already. They've this isn't their first move. This isn't right. the first time they're leaving their home market, and so they've acclimated to places before. Uh, so there's a lot of pieces to it. On the flip side, there are also a lot greater expectations now, um, which is a good thing. I think that's a it's a good thing for the maturity of the league, and it, it says a lot about the types of players and the types of people that we are bringing into the league. Um, but 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 I think overall, yes, it it is now there is a you know it is easier for players to acclimate. Um, my last question. This is probably going to be complicated, but. I believe we are in ongoing discussions with, I don't know, Marcelo Silva, Sergio Cordova, maybe even some of the other guys whose options were declined. Um, you've got re-entry, waivers, other things happening in November and December. January 6th, preseason starts. February 25th, the season starts. You can't register a, a new ITC until I think February 1st or February 10th, whatever the date is shortly before our season like how do some of these deadlines affect the urgency of these discussions like would you and maybe it's random and maybe it's a case-by-case thing where marcelo silva may say hey i want i want to get this done by thanksgiving and somebody else may be have absurdly um unrealistic salary demands and that discussion could go toward all the way to the end of the primary transfer window Mm -hmm. which is April 30th, I think. So um, is there any uh, rhyme or reason or rule of the road on these type of discussions? There are varying degrees of rhyme and reason. <laughs> there is no there is no override, you know, overarching rule to all of it. Um, Basically, I'm trying to plan my vacation. I want to know when I'm going to have to write good some of these releases. Good luck. Yeah, thank um, you. <laughs> you know, it's... I guess the the thing I would say is each kind of there are all these different mechanisms, right? You touch on them. You know, there's free agency, there's reentry, there's the expansion draft, there's there's all these different league pieces. Each one of those may have bearing on one player's situation and no bearing on five other guys' situation. Right, sure. Um, so, sure, there are, you know deadlines for lack of a better word that that kind of become associated with each of those processes and and they impact different players differently um as it pertains to you know external recruiting the the one thing i will say is you know the transfer window dates yeah at least the beginning they don't matter don't really matter um only because we can bring a player, you know, we can have a deal in place to bring a player here and get them here for preseason or, you know, earlier in preseason. Their ITC does not have to be transferred for that to happen. Their ITC has to be transferred to play, which is why the timing is what it is. Um, Now, obviously, the back end of that, so whatever day they open the transfer window, it closes 90 days later. The back end of it, there is an impact, right? Because if you don't get a deal done by that date, then you can't register the player until the secondary window. It's exactly what happened with Sava and, and 
Anderson last year. Um, those were deals that did come close and come down to the wire. And honestly, the reality is that's because for different reasons, there are, you know, your leverage becomes greater when there's a deadline. Well, and, on and that's what I tried to explain to people in the summer is like, yeah, would it have been nice to get both, both Brian O's at the beginning of August. Sure. But the deadline is what places the, the pressure, the leverage on the salary negotiations or whatever else. Sure. So then you, you have to put the three weeks of immigration on the back end, which nobody wants to do because everybody wants a guy in ASAP. Yeah. And, and including you, the, yeah, <laughs> The, the unfortunate reality is you can't start any immigration until you have all the signed paperwork. Mm. Um, and that that's just, that's yeah. the case. Uh, so, yeah, the immigration piece is, you know, an entirely separate one. Um, but, I, you know, I guess what I would say is there is – there are not hard deadlines because of most of these things, but it is very important as we've discussed already. And as we've seen over the years, the earlier you can bring a player in and the earlier you can have a player with the group, the better that process will be over the course of the year, all things being equal. Um, so there is an urgency to, to do things as quickly as we can. But I'll say the the major caveat to that being it still has to be a deal that makes sense for us, both short-term and long-term. Right. You know, like the Anderson-Julio piece is actually a really good example of that. If we had, you know, without digging into too much detail, there was a more than – or there was a seven-figure swing <laughs> in what the numbers looked like between the beginning of the transfer window and right. the deal that we ended up getting done. Um, so am I being dumb and thinking if you had signed him in January under whatever the initial asking price was, like there's several other moves that probably would not have gotten done, right? Not probably. Like, there are even yeah. Savarino perchance. Correct. Wow. Okay. Um, again, this has been a great conversation. We could go on and on, but as we wrap up, and I know you're in the eye of the hurricane right now, and you may not have been able to like really look ahead towards 2023, but what are some of the things you would want, would hope, I guess, that the fans would be excited about going into season number 19 for Real Salt Lake, season number 15 here in Sandy at what is now known as America First Field? I would say that, you know, I would hope fans are excited about the, the foundation uh, that this, you know, that this, this roster is, um, and what, what it can be moving forward. Um, I think it's, you know, I think we all feel really good about our ability to make some, some changes and add some pieces that hopefully can be transformational pieces. Um, I don't think it's I don't think it's unfair to say that fans should be excited to see Demir back on the field. Yeah. Um I am. Uh and I guess lastly I would say I I, I hope our fans are excited about the changes that they saw this year 
Um, and I don't just mean on the field. I mean throughout the organization and how the organization is woven into the community. Um, I, I hope fans are really excited about that. And I would tell fans that the best is yet to come, uh, in that regard. Um, I think our, you know, our new owners who came in in January last year, which look, the reality is that's, that's, it's not late, but it's, you know, well over halfway through the, the kind of off season (laughs) process. Right. And they've been in place now. And so to be able to, to go through the whole year and go through the planning and see the, see the mindset and see the, the ambition, um, that, you know, that the group has is really exciting. And, and I'm, I'm excited for our fans to see what, you know, that, what fruit that bears. Um, it's, it's going to be fun. And, and I think we're, we're at the start of a really good, you know, a really good stretch for Real Salt Lake. Well, Elliot, thanks for your time. Can't wait to have you on again, either late December, early January, when maybe there's a little more clarity and coming out of the World Cup. Congratulations on the impending birth of your son. I can't wait <laughs> to uh, maybe come watch some uh, early morning World Cup games yeah. with uh, with with you and the the little man in the basement. Thank you. It'll be it'll be life changing. That's for sure. So, um, but the timing's good, right? I think I think it's <laughs> going to be like two days before the World Cup starts, and and then uh, you know we got the whole off season. Nice. Well, good luck. Thanks for uh, taking the time today to share your insights. And um, again, we look forward to uh, catching up before preseason, which actually isn't that far away. But uh, in terms of the Major League Soccer calendar, this is the longest off season I think any of us will ever have the opportunity to to enjoy. Sure. All right, Ryan, great stuff there from Elliot Fall. We'll talk to him again, as mentioned, uh, prior to preseason here in about six weeks. Pablo will get the guys together, seven weeks, um, out there in Harriman getting ready for the 2023 MLS season, which will include St. Louis as the league's 29th team. We will find out the RSL schedule in mid-December. We'll find out if we play Miami charlotte or st louis or some combination or all three for the very very first time ever as well as the other 17 dates we'll also keep an eye out for the league's cup draw and schedule rsl able to host two league's cup group games because of its uh, playoff clinching performance here at the stadium uh against portland a few weeks ago so a lot of 2023 scheduling um, uncertainties should be locked down in the next uh, month or so during the World Cup and in between the holidays. But uh, we ask that you download, share, subscribe, and recommend everything that we do here at Bleeding Claire and Cobalt to all of your various circles, uh, RSL fans, young and old, new and veteran. Uh, we want you all to be involved with us and participate You can find us on the socials at Claret Cobalt on Twitter and Instagram or go to anchor.fm slash Claret and Cobalt. Click on the message button, and I say it every week, but nobody ever emails me. 
rsltrey at gmail.com. Let us know what you want to hear. Uh, we do expect to have more coaches and players from Real Salt Lake here during the off season. Thank you so, so much. We couldn't do it without you. We couldn't do it without Adam Sessions and One Wire Fiber for their great support of this pod, which is almost, believe it or not, Ryan, two years old.